the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Want to know what your competitors are up to? Serving as an essential ad and marketing intelligence platform, Social Peta covers advertising data from over 80 global ad networks across 70 countries and regions. And they have more than 300 enterprise clients. You might have heard of a few, including Google, Tencent Games, NetEase Games, and so much more. Learn more by visiting socialpeta.com. That's socialpeta.com. Prevent your users from believing that horrible one-star rating. HelpShift offers the easiest way to collect user feedback, bug reporting, and more without users ever having to leave your app. Plus, you can even get a customizable help center and unlimited FAQs. And the best part, it's all free. Get started today by going to helpshift.com slash appmasters. That once again is helpshift.com slash appmasters. Masters. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to helping you grow your app downloads and more importantly, those revenues. And today I'm super excited to have this guest. I've been asking her, I was like, Steve, we have it booked. And this is like a couple of months ago. I was like, come on, I want to learn from you. She knows all about how to make UA work, especially on Facebook ads, especially after Apple changed everything. How do we go about targeting? How do we get a profitable Facebook, Facebook ads to work? And so I'm super excited to bring her on and break it down all for you. So without further ado, here is Taylor Gobar. She is the head of UA at Bloom. Go check out the website, enjoy Bloom, or search for Bloom within the app stores. It's a really good app. I'm a paying customer of the app as well, and I really love the way, if you're not familiar with CBT, the way I like to, Taylor, you correct me if I'm wrong, the way I like to explain it is sort of like meditation, but there's like actual like activities and journaling that you have to do, which I really love because it's like a short little meditation that you kind of listen through the therapy session, and then you kind of jot down the things that you're feeling like a journal. Taylor, did I do a good enough job here? I think so. I think CBT will teach you <laughs> that there's more in life that is good for your mental health than just going through a therapist. Um, yeah, but I, I was expecting like an air horn. So I was like waiting for the pew, 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 but it's okay. <laughs> I do have the sound effects. So if you want them, don't worry, they will come. <laughs> yeah, I want the whole experience. All right. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I don't have any of the real good ones, but we will get in. So Taylor, let's start it off like from a Facebook perspective or just an overall UA perspective. Why don't we start with this? Actually, from an overall UA perspective, how do you start breaking it down? You're you're part of the team now. You're like, all right, Taylor, here's what we're doing. What should we be doing? So let's pretend it's an app that's already making revenue. It may be in their five figures per month. All right, how do we break down UA? What's the first channel that you start thinking about? Well, I like to plan things out for lean teams, right? So let's imagine there's not that many people that can get things up and running. Maybe you don't have constant uh, design resources or video resources, um, and you're really looking to take what you've learned that works well about your app and just start getting the word out and getting um, some data sent back from these ad networks. 
Um, so if you're on iOS only, like Bloom is right now, you're going to start with Facebook. It's pretty much going to be your first step um, because it has such reach, because, you know, up until now, their targeting has been really unmatched by other ad networks out there. Um, and that's what Bloom did. Bloom started on Facebook actually before I joined as head of growth. Uh, and then I came in and was there to kind of operationalize how we would test and gain efficiencies and gain scale. Um, so they were able to run Facebook without, you know, a growth marketer on board just by working within their network, you know, talking to consultants, things like that. Um, and they were able to get up and running and turn their ads profitable. Now, this is before SK ad network effect, uh, changes went into effect. Um, it's probably a lot harder to start from scratch these days. Um, but good news is, is there's everybody starting from scratch with you. Um, so the competition in some ways, if you're like a mid-sized to small app, you're all in the same playing field. It's only the super, super, super giants that are kind of competing in their own levels now. Yeah. I see. I like it. What, so since FD, IDFA, what has changed from you from how the campaigns were originally structured to now, how are they structured? Yeah, um, we have first and foremost changed our geo grouping. So we're an international app. Uh, we are English only, but we can monetize anywhere. Um, the way that we need more signals per campaign to be fired back uh, has demanded that we shrink our number of campaigns. And this is pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. If you have a Facebook rep, they're going to be pushing you to shrinking the number of campaigns overall. Um, and then from a targeting perspective, um, you might have had lots of little ad groups like this lookalike versus that lookalike. Maybe you're, you've been A-B testing, maybe not. Uh, in addition to separate groups for your interests and behaviors and things like that, we have really smushed a lot of those back together because, again, the number of signals required to optimize, you want to get as much sent back to Facebook as possible, uh, or you're going to be stuck in learning mode for weeks at a time. Um, so we're just seeing like a lot of flattening of our hierarchy. And yeah, that does mean we have fewer insights into certain things like, you know, which exact slice of our demographic is going to have higher LTV or things like that. Um, but with Apple kind of masking at the user level who's coming through, uh, it's just something you're going to have to figure out with your own first party data and not rely on the ad network data any longer to determine. Um, we, we also have different creatives running than we used to. Um, we have separate campaigns that are set for testing creatives and we have you know only our top, top, top creatives in production with the big budgets and the big bucks. Um, so as to not disrupt like once you finally get something out of learning to not disrupt that by constantly putting uh, test creatives into your production campaigns. That's something that's been really helpful for mm. us. Um, and prior to the IDFA changes, um, but it's kind of been increasing in relevance over time are the triple A ads on Facebook, automated yeah. app uh, ads, or now they're calling it Advantage Plus. I think it's rebranded recently. Um, but. <laughs> They are the black box, right? That's the ultimate black box from Facebook. They're definitely pushing it where they can. We still have held out. We have like a mix of AAA and non-AAA, um, and that has been working for us. But I know plenty of advertisers who are app only who have gone all in on AAA, especially if they don't yep. have a web funnel. Yep. Yep. I agree. I've seen the same thing. All right. I want to say hi to a few people. What's up, Samuel? Good to see you, Noah. Miguel is here. Mm -hmm. Kevin from Florida. I love how Kevin's always like, hey, good afternoon from Lakeland, Florida. 
All right, and Fredo knows best. I spent $500 on Google Ads and got 10,000 downloads on my Android game. Love to know where. Yeah. <laughs> where you did it. What are yeah, which you? you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Taylor, one thing I wanted to ask was if you can get some granularity, I always love the details. Like, talk to me about the campaign structure. Cause I've always, you know, for some of the clients that we're running Facebook ads for, when I'm tar when I put together a new interest group, so I was like, hey, let's test, we're not testing creative as much. We're testing new interest group. I created a new ad group. And, Judging from what you said, it was like, no, Steve, you should create a new campaign. Can you talk to me about like, all right, how is the campaign structure set up? What's underneath and how do you have those ad groups? I'd love some totally. granularity there. Yeah, some of our like legacy setup has meant that we use CBO a lot. So campaign budget optimization. Um, now, what that does is you put the budget at the campaign level and you let Facebook kind of allocate ad group by ad group. Um, honestly, when we've been seeing certain lookalike audiences like die off in their effectiveness or even certain interest groups get removed by Facebook saying, hey, we no longer offer this. It's just not possible with a new level of privacy or something like that. Um, that's where we've ended up kind of smushing ad groups together. So even though we have CBO on, there often is only one ad group left under a lot of our campaigns. Um, and with also the sk ad network rules in place you do have a limited number of campaigns that can be live per channel right um, and you'll see that in your facebook dashboard like as you create new campaigns they'll show you how many slots you have left per campaign per ad group etc um, so you know we're rationing um, i have one account that is for my web funnel because we do allow people to start a trial on web and then they can come to the app uh, and then i have a different campaign that is directly to the app store 100 of the time the web funnel okay. it cannot be found on our website because it is ad monetized or sorry, ad traffic only at this point. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit more of our, our secret sauce, <laughs> um, nice. but people can click on an ad, come to the web funnel, um, check out through Stripe instead of through the app store um, and then get started, get deep linked into the app uh, and start their nice. trial that way. So is that what the website details you know go into as much details as you want but i'll poke but is it just are you asking for an email address are you just being like hey this is what it does e-commerce checkout experience it is very similar to some of our app funnels from a few months ago um so basically there's a landing page no form then we have um a few slides about bloom and asking questions about experience mm -hmm. with cognitive behavioral therapy uh, very similar to our in-app onboarding. Then we get to a, hey, create an account, give us your email, put a password on it, and then here's your pricing options. Uh, we do have different pricing options on web than we have in the app as well. Um, and it is checkout through either Apple Pay or credit card, um, according to Stripe's integration at that point. After that, nice. there's like a congrats, your plan is ready, go get your personalized therapy plan in the app. Here's the deep link, here you go. Um, and that is targeted to mobile web users. Um, we don't make it available on desktop because it is kind of a place where we do a lot of experimentation um, and kind of want that mm -hmm. freedom from a lot of scrutiny while we do a lot of experimentation. Um, and also because 
you know, we are iOS only. We're not Android yet. Um, we don't need right. a lot of people like accidentally starting trials and <laughs> getting kind of stuck in a place where it's really hard for them to to cancel because they can't even open up the app to manage their account really. Yeah, so how do you differentiate? So is it in the Facebook targeting that you know they're an iOS user? Yep, there is that targeting allowed. Um, and then for anywhere that we would consider running web campaigns, we would say, hey, can you target iOS users, iOS households? Um, there's even some connected TV channels who promise us, like, we know you're iOS only, we promise you we'll only target households that have uh, iOS mobile devices in the household. Um, so that, that data is still kind of out there and available. And then if you're trying to access parts of our web funnel, not from an iPhone, or we're detecting that you might not be using an iPhone, there's warnings in the browser, like, you probably don't want to buy this. Um, you won't be able to use it unless you are actually on an iPhone um, with some really good VPN or really good, you know, privacy settings right. in place. That's awesome. The So it looks like, I don't want to go back to the campaign structure. You're like, hey, one campaign, one ad group, campaign budget. Yeah. That's really evolved over time, though. It's kind of like squished okay. together over time. It didn't start out that way. Um, and we have some like single country campaigns for our all-star countries where we're really interested in the, the mm. uh, KPIs of those individual countries. And then we have a bunch of other countries grouped together, again, to get us one to like that critical mass of volume. So there's no single campaign that is only spending you know, $50 a day. We want every campaign spending over a thousand bucks a day at least. Um, wow. And for the way that they are grouped is kind of according to the country average. So not the Facebook channel average, but like blended average across all of our acquisition sources and organic, what their uh, install to trial rate is and what their trial start to trial converted into a paid subscription is. Uh, so we are okay. keeping track of those Kind of using those to guide what the bids will be um and typically with scan the bids are a lot higher than your actual cost per acquisition cost um just because scan is still again not really passing the whole picture most of the time okay i like it that's all on the back end that you're kind of doing on that topic what are you guys using to i'm using app store connect and kind of like going into the numbers and it's a lot of work. But what are you, is there a tool that you would recommend to like, hey, here's how many people download, install, first open, trial activation by country? Yeah, um, so we are a big Revenue Cat fan uh, up over at Bloom. And because we're a subscription app, they make a lot of that subscription data a lot easier to access, either in its sort of raw format, um, but also it makes customer service options a lot easier than App Store Connect. Um, and then it also kind of becomes a, a routing point. So Revenue Cat can forward your transactional data to any endpoint that you want, whether that's your BI tools. If we maybe you have Tableau, maybe you have Google Sheets, Revenue Cat does both. Um, and then Revenue Cat can also integrate with a few ad networks. Um, it's not as robust. You'll still probably want to deal with uh, maybe App Flyer for something like that. Um, but yeah, Revenue Cat has been uh, a lifesaver, especially for keeping data really clean and simple um, and for making it connect to all of our other endpoints without going through like a segment implementation or any other sort of like CD CDP implementation. Are you able to pull Revenue Cat? Is Revenue Cat able to pull like where the source of the traffic is coming from too? Or is it just like, hey, overall trials and subscriptions and all that stuff? 
they used to pre-scan. Um, so they they <laughs> okay. used to be able to grab it, um, but now with scan, really we're using AppSlayer to to make that single source of truth data kind of possible. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, scan forwards some things to Facebook themselves and things like that. So you can try and look at how Facebook is trying to math out the scan data. Um, but we have apps fire for sort of, sort of like one who has their tracking left on for whatever reason, who has opted in. We still have that data directly in apps fire. Uh, and uh, then they also house and they've started to deduplicate uh, the scan data as well. So you can do a little bit more control over which network or channel is actually getting credit for the install. Got it. All right. Let's get into some of these questions. Samuel says, what's your opinion about mobile SaaS? Mobile SaaS. Um, interesting. I personally have avoided like hardcore SaaS in my professional career, like in terms of working in mobile SaaS, Um, but I have a lot of friends who end up that way. In terms of the tools that are out there for developers, for marketers, um, some of them are going to make your life a lot easier. And especially while you're waiting to hire, while you're waiting to build out like certain aspects of your business model, some of those tools are basically, irreplaceable like short short of having like a ton of folks that are freelancers or contractors or like doing data pipeline work for you overseas or anything like that um a lot of these tools are what make my team lean and efficient and able to operate without uh looping in a bunch of part-time folks who aren't as invested in the in the product yeah i'm assuming he's i wasn't sure that's why i always toss up the question because i wasn't sure what he was specifically asking for, but are you talking about things like Revenue Cat being like a mobile SaaS? I would say Revenue Cat is definitely specifically mobile SaaS. AppSlyer is specifically mobile SaaS. They're adding some web tools. But like I've, when I will say like I've used a lot of marketing SaaS period, not always specifically mobile. Um, And they're what free up my dev developers time, right? So that I can do my job instead of asking them to make internal tools or make things accessible to me or without having to teach every like customer service hire on our team how to use SQL, right? Like you just want some things to be more usable. And if that's not your company's prerogative to build internal tools, then, uh, you know, outsource what you can. I've also worked at companies that were super scrappy, built their own tools all the time. Um, but it was a little bit terrifying, terrifying getting out of those companies and being like, oh, I've used a tool that I'll never have to use again. And like, where, what skills was I building at that company? Um, Cause now I don't have anything that's transferable that I can put on my resume at that point. Okay. Then Samuel, I don't think I have a video about this, but maybe Taylor can help us. Do you have a video? So how much money about daily ad spend and what to expect in terms of downloads, ROI, et cetera? Yeah. I have a video, Taylor, on like, okay, here's what you should be aiming for in terms of download to trials and the trials and subscriptions, but he's saying like for daily ad spend. I I will say that this is so variable by vertical um, and by geo. Um, 
So you're going to have to like really try and do specific competitor research to something that is the most similar to your business model. Mm. Um, but the more general things that I can say are like, your ad spend is not going to be efficient in the first couple of weeks. Um, learning periods these days, this, this year, are a lot longer than they used to be. Expect uh, to not hit your peak efficiency until you've spent a good amount of money. And then you might see a plateau and like something will come down and level off and uh, you can start to say, this is closer to my baseline. Um, mm. But efficiencies change at every step function of volume too. So just because you get, you know, 150% at uh, 1K a day doesn't mean that when you 10X that you're going to get that same margin, right? Um, I think it's harder to get those really, really sweet margins on smaller pools these days than it used to be. Um, but I think that's still true that every step function of volume, you're going to see different performance. Seasonality comes into play. We're a, we're a health and wellness, right? So people are really willing to use us during lockdown, during the first quarter, new year, new me. Sometimes when the holidays are stressing you out, and you're going to see a lot of people that you don't want to see. Um, so yeah, if you're really looking for guidance on and trying to like give accurate forecasts, go go be as sneaky of a spy as you can be on uh, an industry that matters to you. Set up meetings with anybody who has ever worked um, in in an industry that you're in these days. Yeah. I do have a calculator, Samuel, and maybe create a video out of this because I do get this question a lot. Like, what what are the cost per installs that I should expect? And is there a number that you like to throw out? Taylor, like across industries, just cross mobile here, here's your expected cost per install. Um, honestly, <laughs> people who know me know I hate forecasting because it is, it's one of those things where to be accurate, you need so much historical data, right? And you yeah. need that historical data to be relevant to the situation that you're in. So basically throw out the last three years of data. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's not going to be the same ever again. Um, every time I enter a new industry, though, I'm completely shocked by the difference in those conversion rates, right? So I was in affiliate marketing, and then I moved into content arbitrage, and then I had some gaming and travel, and I stuck in travel, then I went to healthcare. Now I'm in this kind of like, user friendly health adjacent thing, completely different ranges. And yes, this is over the span of 10 years. Um, but even just hopping from job to job, the, the CPIs would always change, the CPAs would always change, the lifetime value and like renewal rates would always change. Um, so just stay humble and stay curious. Um, but there's not there's not like a single answer or a single benchmark as much as like the VCs maybe want to tell you that if that's who you're talking to. Um, just be smart and accountable to what your numbers are doing and be completely on top of them. Um, and if you are profitable, if you can scale, and that's what matters more than what other people are doing. Love it. I think it's a great, and I've seen it too, like firsthand. Like there, are, like to, I think it was Samuel who said he got these many downloads with just a tiny little budget. Like I've seen clients who were getting like five cents per download. Might be in somewhere in Asia, right? Like it's like, and it's yeah. on Android. And, and then I have certain clients that are willing to pay up to $8 per install. And so it just really depends. I'm shocked, Taylor, like just like you are, Pike. The conversion rates of some of the people that we work with i'm like holy cow like that's insane and i love this knowledge because then i get to use it and just be like wow this these are the category of apps that are converting really high 
And so, yeah, all that totally up here. Yeah. <laughs> even, the, even the numbers that people say publicly, you know, they lack so much context that's going to be able to let you dissect what that means. Like we yep. we're a mental health app, right? And sometimes we get compared to Calm or to Headspace, um, but their subscription model has changed so often. The places that they transact and source their users has changed. A lot of them have expanded into like children's verticals and other things like comparing us to some somebody who is 10 years older than us or has a bunch of different product offerings or sources users in a completely different way. It's really not gonna do us any favors. So the, the better you are at convincing your audience that you are your own special unique thing worthy of its own consideration, uh, the better you're going to be at marketing your company and your product. Hey, Taylor, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because I talked to so many people who asked me this question. This is sort of what I put together too. Like, all right, here, start with, and you tell me what those numbers should be, right? Like what, what kind of budget you should start out with that month? So then I'm like, all right, let's put in any cost for acquisition that you think you can reasonably hit. But I think to your point, it's like, you got to know this trial conversion. You got to know this number. You got to know this. And sometimes you can do lifetime value. And then you can start figuring out how much you can really pay, pay for this cost per acquisition. These numbers yeah. suck. Then, you know, so use the video, Samuel, that I kind of put together with like where you want to be for a trial conversion. But I've seen clients with 5%, 20%, 50% down here. And so I give a rough range, but I think this calculator helps you kind of decide all right, well, I probably can't spend any money to pay break even. Now, granted, this doesn't take lifetime value, but it takes, you know, just average order size. So, what do you think about this thing? Um, I think it's smart to, to start with average order, right? To focus on being break even in the short term before you try and pretend that your LTV is has a multiplier that doesn't exist yet. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, unless you are sitting on lots of money and are just really curious and experimental, I would say play it safe. Um, yeah. You can maybe allocate, you know, specific pockets where you're like, okay, I'll I'll save up 5k and I'll do the 5k at the at twice the bid and I'll like change a bunch of things in my funnel and we'll see how that plays out uh, when I make a concerted but specific effort to make a lot of changes. Um, but when you're doing your your big forecasts and your big budgeting, be honest with yourself. Like, don't use magic numbers that are not rooted in your history. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And I kind of just took this from like when I was talking to somebody. How much you planning to charge per year? All right, let's just pretend like most people are gonna get you know maybe pay the yearly. And then yeah, I like what you said. I'm glad I showed you this. Cool. All <laughs> right, so Samuel, if this is interesting. We can create another video and you know make this somewhat available for you guys. All right. Things, I love talking to people and it's like enough times I've been asked the same question. I was like, let me just throw this into this handy dandy. This spreadsheet is my big calculator one that I have here. All right, I want to say hi to Samuel. I know you said that. Rudy, you're late, but you showed up. Edwin, how you doing? <laughs> Noah asked, Taylor, do you encourage users to allow tracking in the app or do you simply assume no tracking when planning your campaigns? Um, I mean, <laughs> I will say both. We ask people. We say, you know, we are doing our best to respect your privacy for mental health, like security and privacy is actually more important than other things for our particular vertical. Um, but I do assume that scan is going to be our primary tool for measurement when I'm building out a campaign. Um, and, you know, like 
for example, we added Apple search ads with Steve recently, and um, it has a higher rate of measurement allowed, like more users on Apple search ads are measurable according to the old fashioned way. But even at the volume that it's at right now, Scan doesn't love it. Scan does not love reporting on Apple search ads. Um, so the more you can build up multiple points of tracking, multiple ways to measure where your users are coming from, asking them to self-identify and self-attribute at some point uh, during the funnel and sign-up process. Um, just arm yourself with as much information and try and blend it all together um, because relying on any single tool or single permission is not enough anymore. Taylor, anything I missed that you want to talk about from a Facebook ads perspective? And we covered a lot, AAA, campaign setup, mm -hmm. campaign budget optimization. Um, I will say if you're at the stage where you think you need a Facebook rep and you're really annoyed by the fact that you don't have a Facebook rep yet, don't worry about it. Don't stress. Um, they're a little <laughs> bit helpful, but they're not going to change like the bottom line of how successful you are at advertising. They're mostly, they're good uh, reminders to me to stay accountable, to staying up, up to date with certain practices and things like that. Um, but in terms of like keeping the lights on, you can completely succeed without a Facebook rep. And for some of the earliest days of my career, I had no rep because I was at an affiliate company and they didn't want to touch us. Um, but we still were extremely successful just being aggressive, following best practices, um, experimenting a lot and being being like the leaders of our own vision rather than hoping a, a rep would come in and, you know, wave a magic wand for us. Yeah. And they, they usually don't have the day that you might have, honestly, like I've talked to a bunch of these reps from all the big companies out there, the app networks, Google, Facebook, Apple, and it's just like a lot of them don't have the practice that I might particularly, I'll just speak for myself. I might particularly, I'd be like, yeah, that's good, but you know what? I've seen other things cause they're just not in there in the details. Like we are kind of like, we're out there in the fields working so yeah right now i have a, a healthcare app i have a healthcare rep but not an app rep and so i'm like well there's only some things we can talk about <laughs> what is noah said what is scan what is oh yeah scan it's actually s-k-a-n it's an acronym acronym it is apple's ad network um and it is the tool that they built in order to become the privacy middlemen uh, of app postbacks. So back in the day, um, you know, people who wanted to be able to track who clicked on what and then who installed, you couldn't use UTM parameters traditionally because Apple would kind of interrupt that once you got to the app store. So then we started the idea of click attribution, adding unique identifiers to the click, uh, and then having those kind of register on the user's app side and then fire back, usually through a mobile measurement provider like AppSlyer or something else, and you could tie it together. Um, SK Ad Network is a response to the abuse of that system um, in some, if you hear Apple tell it. Um, and so instead of being able to always have unique identifiers, both at the advertising impression and click level, and then also on the, um, user side, Apple's interrupting passing of that data and saying, you know what, we'll tell you who installed your app, we'll tell you ads that they may or may not have seen or clicked on, we'll, we'll decide if we're telling any of the ad networks 
whether they actually drove an install or something like that. Um, so they're taking that responsibility off of the advertisers and MMPs hands. Um, but it is a lot less thorough. It's a lot more randomized. Um, and it is much more in aggregate and not at the user level. Um, so that change really went into effect May of 2021. It's a year now um, since everybody started updating and they announced the change more than like a year in advance and said, everybody get ready. Um, and it really changed a lot of people's strategies for what products they would build. build. Um, a lot of people decided not to go app first once they heard that was coming. Um, but if you are an app marketer, you have to be friends with Scan and make it work for you. Do you still need a mo mobile measurement partner to utilize Scan? Um, in theory, you do not if you want to be able to ingest and aggregate and parse that data. Um, and it's, in my opinion, like you can get, you can negotiate with an MMP to a, like a pretty reasonable rate where they're being the people who, uh, who parse and like format and create nice reports off of the scan data. Um, for example, we use AppsFlyer, they're adding bells and whistles to try and do even more. So if you're familiar with like how App Store connect data looks, it's kind of minimal. If you add AppsFlyer or another MMP like AppsFlyer on top of it, um, they can do a lot more with that data. It can manipulate it a lot better. They can help you um, store and access it for longer periods of time. Um, and if you really wanted to like control what you're measuring for, um, AppsFlyer has different models of what you can pass. Um, so for we're a subscription app, we have a free trial on the first day. Uh, AppsFlyer helps us make sure that Apple is really caring about caring about that start trial event and not all of the other things that someone might be doing in their first day. Um, and if you are someone who has a longer uh, path to purchase within your app, um, good luck. That must be really hard. Scan makes really it really hard for you to monetize someone over many days or many weeks and still pass that back to your uh, ad network now. Got it. I like it. Is this a good analogy, Taylor? Like it's like an API type of thing where you can make it work, connect directly to your system, or you can use, I'm not speaking marketing terms, but you can use like a tool like Zapier and they'll do all the work for you and kind of like connect all that stuff. And so that maybe the MMP is more like the Zapier in this case, where they'll give you, they'll give, make that connection. They'll visually show you that this happened, whereas you can theoretically do it through an API and just write your own code and do all that stuff yourself too. What do you think about yeah. that analogy? I think that's fair. I think that because <laughs> like it's it. <laughs> no, because it's so new, because it's so new, literally every MMP and every ad network has had in the last six months has had some long multi-day outage or like mess up with, with the parsing or forwarding the Apple data. Um, mm. So even though it, it's literally AppsFlyer's sole job is to do this. And even though, Facebook absolutely cannot function without being able to parse and ingest and like reuse this data. These giant companies that completely revolve around being able to use this data have failed, <laughs> not permanently <laughs> failed, but like have had really bad days or weeks and it's affected lots of people. Um, so unless you have like a really top tier data engineer and a really t like you've, you're very smart about attribution. That's like a skill set that you're building up 
within your company, um, I would say, yeah, you even going the slightly hacky way of Zapier is probably a big risk <laughs> based on how, <laughs> how difficult it's been to handle this data. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend Zapier for this stuff that we're talking about, but I was trying to yeah, yeah, make yeah, an analogy yeah. for other things too. All right. Tired of overpaying for App Store optimization? Get unlimited ASO and app marketing support to increase your keyword rankings, downloads, and more importantly, your revenue. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.